Thank you, Rose, so much for leading us in worship. My name is Mike Hale. I'm the pastor resident at ERC Life Church. And before we get into our sermon, I have a couple quick announcements for us. Uh, but first, I want to say, if you're new, I want to say welcome. I want to say welcome to our family. Welcome to our online community. Welcome to our church. Um, say hi. I'm saying hi down in the description. Uh, we're a family. We love to connect. We love people. We love to show love. So if it's your first time with us, say hi. And also go to our website, sitlifenj.com new. Fill out the form there, and someone will get in contact with you. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who came and met with us last Thursday as we talked about racial reconciliation and social justice. And we're focusing on not making this just a one-time thing, not making this just a, a time in the season and then going on with it. We're, we're really putting things in place, and we're looking at what we can do here at City Life or in our city with our different churches of how we can uh, combat this issue together. So again, I just want to say thank you guys for jumping on. Thank you guys for being a part. And I just look forward to the, the longevity of how this is going to be, how we're going to do this in the future. I just look forward to uh, what's going to come about. And I just thank you that our church, we're just on board. We're, we're ready to go. So again, thank you guys. Uh, I also want to tell you guys about our missional communities. And that's our family size communities on mission together. Guys, the time to get a part of an MC is now. Um, this is where we really live out the, the Christian life with our brothers and sisters. Um, again, I say it all the time, this is where we show uh, the one another verses we see in the scriptures where people say, uh, love one another, encourage one another, carry each other's burdens. You know, this is what we do these inside of these missional communities. So guys, if you guys are not a part of one, click on the link down in the chat or go to the website, selectnj.com slash missional-communities for more information. And our giving is 100% online now. So to give, click on the link down in the chat or go to the website, sillifenj.com slash give and give your amount there. Now, I'm still saying that, guys, if your income has not remained the same or you or you know someone who needs help, guys, God has blessed us as a church. He's blessed us as his people to be a blessing to others, right? And especially to the body of believers. So if you know you have any situation you're not sure if it makes a cut, if you need help, please do not suffer in silence. Let us know. Please email info at cfnj.com um, for your request, and we will get back to you as soon as possible. And guys, I also want to talk about the census, right? We've been talking about census the last couple of weeks, um, and it's super, super simple to do. It takes five, ten minutes tops. Um, probably not even that, guys. Uh, the census, it actually helps bring resources into our city. Um, this is a small thing that we can do to contribute and, and to bring resources into our city. You guys can go to 2020census.gov. Guys, again, it takes five minutes. Uh, please uh, do that. Please uh, fill that out and help out our city. And lastly, guys, I want to mention that today after the sermon where we're meeting together on Zoom, the links will be down in the chat. We're going to uh, meet together at, at the big church. We're going to have a big church gathering. We're also taking communion together as well. So please, guys, I'm, I'm inviting you now. I invite you to, to join us in that time. Take communion with us, fellowship with us, and then we're going to go out to our breakout rooms and talk about the question from the sermon. But speaking of the sermon, all right, guys, let's get to it. Morning, church. Morning, city life. Morning, visitors. Good morning to everyone here. So uh, happy that we get to come together one more time, one more week together, one more quarantine week, but we're still here. And I'm really grateful. Today was 
we're continuing this interruption series that we're in. We're continuing to say, hey, th these things that are happening around us in our world are important to us, and so we're going to make the time and the space and the heart energy to tackle these things. And so this is week four of our interruption right now. And today, I think I've said this every week so far, this sermon is different than what I of how I usually preach. But today I want to start talking about a man named Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis was born in 1958. If you've never heard of him, you should Google him. And he was born in Chicago. And he, he shares a lot of his story in a TED Talk that I highly recommend for all of you. But in, in Daryl's TED Talk, the reason why his story is so memorable is that it starts when he was 10, when he was a Boy Scout, and he was in a Boy Scout parade at the age of 10, and he was chosen to hold the American flag that day. And as they were marching, as they were just doing kid things and having fun, he all of a sudden realized that there was this group of men throwing rocks and throwing bottles at him and his troop. And he was just so confused and he didn't know what was happening around him. Imagine 10 year old and there are adults throwing things at you. Imagine the confusion that comes up. And after some time, his troop leaders come and surround him and make sure that their, their whole troop is okay. And, after, and afterwards, um, he keeps asking them, what happened? What happened? Why do they hate the Boy Scouts so much? Why, why is this happening here? And then Daryl talks about how that night when, he, when his parents asked him what happened, why he looked so roughed up, and he told them they sat him down and for the first time talked about racism to him, that there are going to be people out there who hate him because of the way that he looked, because of the way that God had made him, People hated him, and he and Daryl describes this one really important question that shaped a lot of his life, a lot of his formative years, and now as an adult. Um, and the question is, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? How can you hate me when you don't even know me? He said that question was on his mind for years and years and years, and he wrestled, he read books, he tried to find the answer to that. He read about all of these societal issues. He read about white supremacy, black supremacy. He said he read uh, every book that he could get his hand on that he wanted to read, and he found no answers. He just had this question, why do you hate me when you don't even know me? And I feel like that is a great question for us to start our sermon in today. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? I've been wrestling with that question a lot. I've been wrestling in this season with how to, how to lead us from God's word about everything that we see, about the hatred, about the supremacy that anyone feels over another person, over this division and over all of the ugliness in the world that we know, all the, all the oppression and injustice. And, and what does God have to say to us about all of this? How how practical is God in his word? How committed and passionate is he about justice and about ending oppression in, in our world? And it turns out that God has everything to say about it, that his whole scripture, his whole word, his whole narrative is about bringing freedom to his people, to bring freedom to creation and ending oppression everywhere. And, and lately I have honestly been really struck um, by how I've seen some Christians responding to everything that they've seen. I've seen how we have a tendency, just like the world, to hatred and anger and division and oh, 
I can't have this conversation with you, so I'm canceling you. How is it that the church isn't looking different right now? How is it that we're not hearing all these abundant stories about us um, responding in a different way from the world? And so I feel called to, 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 to do two things today. The first is to preach passionately about repentance to the oppressor. That God in his nature hates oppression, hates injustice. That God's nature is that he is a God of justice. And in his presence and in his kingdom, darkness cannot last. And so if, if an, all the oppressors in this world, there is a costly repentance that has to take place to know Jesus and to not be blind. But the second thing I, I feel really passionate in my, in my whole life to preach is spiritual and emotional freedom to the oppressed. That when we know Jesus, we know this God who can do anything, who can heal us from anything, who can move us to places that we cannot move ourselves. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, Saul, Saul's conversion into Paul. And I, I've been calling this sermon... Saul to Paul, least to chief. Let, let's, hear the, let's hear our passage today from Acts 9, verses 1 to 19. Theo and Morgan have agreed to read it for us, so let's hear God's word together this morning. Good morning, City Life. My name is Theophilus. My name is Morgan. And we are here with the scripture reading for today. A reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Theo and Morgan, for, for reading the word to us today, for, for setting time aside to let this word impact you, impact your heart. Uh, I, I appreciate it very much. And so we're, we're speaking out of Saul's conversion into Paul today in, in Acts chapter 9. But really, our story really uh, starts back in chapter 7 of Acts, the first time that we're introduced to this man named Saul from Tarsus is when Stephen, a godly man, a new convert, a man who is burning passionately for Jesus, is killed. You know, I, I read the scene here in chapter 7, 50, verses 54 to 60, and I see that this to me looks like a movie scene, a, a scene straight out of the movies where we are introduced to our big bad of the story, the arch nemesis of our of the rest of the movie and we see here that Stephen that this this guy who is just so passionate about Jesus he looks up and he sees this vision of Jesus at the right hand of the father and yet all of this crowd of people hear what he's saying and hate him for it and they drag him outside of the city and just like Jesus they kill him they throw rocks at this man until he dies what a graphic scene that is. And we see, we're introduced here to this man named Saul in verse 58, when it says that Saul, everyone who wanted to throw, everyone who was lining up to throw a stone at Stephen, they laid their garments down at the feet of Saul. And we're introduced to this guy, and he's standing there proud of what they were doing, proud that they were wiping away this blasphemer off the face of the earth, proud of what they were doing that day. And in this moment where Stephen is just full of the Holy Spirit, incredible, I don't even know how, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he says these two things. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then right after that, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen uses the last breath to pray for those who are killing him, following in the steps of his Savior who did this on the cross, and yet, how starkly that contrasts between this other man that we're, that we're shown here about how he's so happy that this man is dying, so happy that they are killing him. And what a contrast of hearts here. What a contrast of people. What a scene here. Now, I want to be really clear before we go on in today's sermon. I want to be really clear about a couple of things. The first is that we have very intentionally, I have very intentionally preached righteous indignation at oppression before we touch this topic. We have preached that God in his very nature came here to relieve the captives, that God's very nature is holy and he does not stand for injustice. When our Savior started his public ministry, he read uh, from Isaiah, he quoted Isaiah, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God hates injustice, and he is always near the low, the lowly. He is always telling his people to care for those who are having a hard time and who are oppressed in life. He is always making a way out for those who cannot for themselves. And I, we need that God. We love this God, this God who hates injustice. The second thing I, I just really want to say before we go forward in, is that this is not a blanketed sermon about every situation in your life when it comes to oppression. That this isn't a accept oppression, it's okay, God wants you to suffer. No, that has often been used by the oppressor, but that is not God's nature and that is not his word. God fights against injustice and he causes people to do the same. Third, I, I want to be sensitive to all of us here because we, I, I, I believe with my whole heart, we have all been subject to oppression in some way in our life, some of us much more than others. But I want to be sensitive because God has made us to be emotional beings and spiritual beings, and we are all on this sanctification process. And some of us are where others are not, but we need to hear the full word of the gospel. We need to hear all of what Jesus said so that we know what Jesus is bringing us to. So we know the standard that our Christ gave us. And so we can be stronger than anyone who ever comes and tries to oppress us or the people around us. That God's people are called to be strong and to fight for what's right. And then lastly, there's a lot of veins of, of preaching, a lot of veins, uh, themes in which God used his people in Scripture. And today I just come before you uh, like Jeremiah as a weeping prophet. That this whole season, that this new season of my life has been one that has brought me to tears a lot and that has made me uncomfortable and made me process what God was saying to me and to my heart and the healing that I need. And so today's word comes out of this broken heart saying that hatred, division, it's too costly for us. It's too costly for God's people that we need God to heal us. And, and if, if Jesus can turn Saul into Paul, he can, do any, he can do anything in our lives, in our hearts. And so today's message is centered around this. Hey, oppressors, you need to repent because you don't know the Lord that you need to repent and have a costly repentance. Repentance has to cost you a lot in your life for you to know Christ, but then also for God's people and those who are suffering oppression, that God has something powerful to say to our hearts, that he has freedom for our souls and our spirits, and that God is always with us no matter what we face. And so let, let's look at Saul's story here. Let's go to Acts chapter 9 now. Let's talk about Saul's conversion and what Jesus did to this gross person at first. Saul was this hyper-Pharisee. He was Jew of Jews. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. We get his resume, his earthly resume, in a couple of different times here. He is the most intelligent, the most righteous, the most religious the best of the best, the valedictorian. He was the man and above everything else. The, the cherry on top was that he was this Roman citizen. That apparently there was absolutely nothing 
that raise any red flags about who this man was. He was the best of the best. He was the one man. If anyone knew God, it was going to be this guy. And yet, when we when we're introduced to him, we see that he is. He seems much more of a monster than he even does a human. The the very first thing that it says here is that. Uh, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That he is like this breathing dragon. That he was this monster. That it, though everything and who he was was the very best. He, he was this monster. And, and we contrast that even what we already talked about to him and Stephen. And the humanity, the beauty that Stephen had already and compared to this callous, dark monster here. And we see that this is not just another story. This is not just another man here, but how they contrast so much. And that even though Stephen was the one who was killed, it did nothing to change the heart of stone that Saul did. That this act of beauty and courage that Stephen had, it did absolutely nothing to move Saul's heart. What a contrast there. And then we go to our story today, and and out of nowhere... And honestly, to much, I'm sure, to much of the protest of believers at the time, if they had a say in this, all of a sudden Saul is on the way to Damascus. He has gone to the chief priest. He has gone to everyone in authority and said, give me the right to go hunt these men and these women. I want to get them and I want to bind them and, I, and we need to kill them. Women and men, it says here. And then out of nowhere, Jesus interrupts his life, his journey, his agenda, interrupts everything about Saul's life. And in the course, he changes the history of the world. This light, I've been reading about this light, and it's, it's so, uh, it must have been so amazing. This tradition of when God's light and God's glory comes down here on earth, that humanity always falls to the ground because we can't stand in it, because we're so dirty Because we are so impure and when God's Shekinah glory, which is his direct presence, when God comes himself in his fullness, it's called the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory causes this monster to fall on his knees. And it's just this picture of, number one, we ask, why him? Why are you doing this for him? What did Saul do to deserve you actually going and meeting him face to face? But then God's glory overtakes Saul. Saw this wicked and disgusted man. And because he's just like us, he's a human, he falls to his fates because he cannot stand in God's presence. And then Jesus starts talking to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love how Jesus here says, hey, you're killing my people. You're hurting my people. You're doing this to me. This harkens back to Matthew 25 when he's talking about, hey, whenever you clothe someone, you're clothing me. Whenever you visit someone in prison, you're actually doing that for me. When you are feeding someone who's hungry and you're thirsty, you're feeding me, you're giving me water. And whenever you welcome a stranger, whenever you welcome an immigrant with you, you're actually bringing me into your house. I love how Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because he makes our struggle his because we are a part of him. And then again, in in this shock that we just don't understand, Jesus, why are you going to him? Why him? There could have been plenty of other people. Why this guy named Saul? He doesn't deserve this. He's persecuting your people. But yet Jesus goes after him and then he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Arise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do there. That immediately Jesus takes up this leadership role in Saul's life. He tells him what to do. He doesn't just show up, but he tells him what to do. He says, you know what? Go to where you were going. You were going there to kill. You were going there to murder. You were going there with your own agenda. But you know what? I, I, instead of you being this monster going there, you're going to be this hobbling man with no sight. And for three days, we're told here that Saul has no sight and he does not eat or he does not drink. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know what? I was in the grave for three days. You're going to be in, the, in your own little grave here for three days. I'm going to leave you in the dark. I'm going to show you how blind you've been. I'm going to show you how misguided you've been. I'm going to show you how wrong you've been. For three days, you're just going to sit here and you're going to wait for me to do something else. Wait for me to actually open up your eyes. And so they listen. They go to Damascus and they wait. I love how this is the same amount of time that Jesus waited in the grave, that Jonah waited in the whale. It's the symbol of death, that Jesus was causing Saul to die so that he can birth something new. And so let's, let's talk about Adonias, because God never just works one way or one-sided. He always provides a way out. Let's talk about this holy man here who gets hardly mentioned, and yet he plays one of the most important roles anyone has ever played in the history of the church. And so God, because he has this marvelous plan all the time, who's always setting up ways for our healing to come, he goes to this one, name, one man named Ananias, and he gives him a hard message, a message that he does not want to give, an assignment that he wants to get out of very quickly. He says, rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. He has seen a vision. Uh, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come, lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. And because Ananias knows who this guy Saul from Tarsus is, because the word has gotten around who this Saul of Tarsus guy is, because he is the because he is the equivalent of who David Duke is today in our world. Ananias is like, look, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do this. Are you crazy? Do you know who this guy is? He's actually even come to this city to kill us, to bring us back to the synagogue so we can be killed. It makes sense. That pushback makes sense. And in our own strength, I think all of us would have always said no. But because Ananias loved the Lord, because Ananias had made the decision to do whatever God had told him to, no matter how difficult or how costly, because he was so full of Jesus' love, he does what we should always be doing, and he says yes to the Lord. But, God, but Jesus also says this to him in verse 15. He says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And I love that Jesus includes this last sentence in here. I love how he shows that repentance is costly. That Jesus came and he died and he paid a price for the freedom and the grace and the mercy and the kindness that we can all experience. But yet, not every consequence in life is going to be taken away when the, oppressed, when the oppressor repents. Repentance is costly. Read Zacchaeus' story. That is going to cost you when you realize you've done something horrible in life that is going to cost you it's going to 
have consequences, that God doesn't always take away the consequences. But here he says that for Paul, that Saul, he's going to show Saul how much he has to suffer for the sake of my name. And in other words, he's like, Ananias, don't worry. I am righteousness. I am justice. Nothing goes unanswered. I am the only true judge. Everything will be answered for in this life. Follow me. I'm your savior. I have you. Don't worry. And, and then I, I love, I love what God, Jesus tells him to do. I love this kindness that he tells Ananias to show to this horrible murderer. I love how in verse 17 it starts and it says, Ananias, And Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about three things that Ananias did right here that flies in the face of the world's response to the ugliness and the brokenness that we are continually being called to do. The first thing is that Jesus, he lays his hand on Saul. This is, was more than just a pat on the back. It's more than just a handshake. In their world, when you did this, it meant family. It meant safety. It meant acceptance. It meant, don't worry. I don't know if I could have done that to this man. And then at, right after this, the first words that Saul ever hear from a believer of Christ after he has met Jesus is someone calling him brother. Now Saul had no right to ever be called brother from someone who followed Jesus, who had had friends and even just people who believed the same thing that he did, who murdered them, who were hunting them like animals, and he calls him brother, Saul. What a kindness that Saul never deserved, that he never earned. And then the last thing he does is that Ananias speaks life into someone who only cares about death. What, a, what an upside-down response that Jesus asked Ananias to do here. What kind of soul power did Ananias have to have to trust the Lord and to go to someone who was trying to kill him and do these things, act this lovingly and kindly to him? And then we see here what it does. When God's surprising truth, when God's confounding truth, when the truth that is not our nature comes and actually touches the oppressor, when it actually penetrates the hearts and the ears. Remember last week we talked about how their, uh, Israel's ancestors blocked their ears until their hearts turned diamond hard. But then here in verse 18 it says that in immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. This idea again, the Saul was a monster and now he is finally becoming a human. He's finally recovering his humanity. This is also a callback. It makes us remind, it reminds us that we, that the serpent in the garden was the one who tricked humanity in the first place. That oppression and death and murder all belong to the kingdom of darkness, to Satan and his lies and his deceit and how Jesus causes the truth to come out and he changes Saul's life and his heart forever in this moment for the first time he's actually a human for the first time 
his heart is actually beating. He's no longer this monster, but he's becoming a man, becoming a human. I love this. I don't know if we can understand if we if we can fully understand this today. That only the gospel is what brings us to life. That we are all dead before we know Christ. That we do not. That we are all blind, apart from Jesus. That is not to say that it, that it is okay. That God accepts it. That we should accept it. Far from that. But here in Saul, we see that. Only when he met Jesus on the road, only when God's glory made him blind, did he start to see. Only when Jesus told him to go into the grave like he did for three days, that he actually started to live. You know, and this is a message that Paul learned, and he learned very, very deeply. We see this in the rest of what he did, what he committed his life to after this. From when he, he, he died to Saul and he was born to Paul, you know, even the name Paul means little. That he so got this message that he said, you know, I am the littlest one. And even in Acts, there, Jesus, uh, Paul's conversion is mentioned two more times. Paul wants us to know, you know what? Do you know how gross I was? Do you know how disgusting I was? Do you know how much I just lusted for murder? He, I need to tell you two more times. In, in chapter 22, he says that I am a Jew born of Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering prison, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them to bonds in Jerusalem to be punished. Again, he wants us to know that he was so lost that he just craved this death. And then even in chapter 26, he brings it back up again. This story, he didn't write Acts, but Acts brings it back up again because Paul keeps on talking about how lost he was. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, that he actually wanted them to die, that he acted like the executioner, that he wanted to be the judge and the jury and put these people to death. And how he had this raging fury in him that caused him to go after them, not only in Jerusalem, but everywhere that they were. Again, Saul was a disgusting man. He was an oppressor. He was the worst of us. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. When the gospel came into his life and he repented. And when it started to cost him, when he learned that he needed to suffer for Christ, it changed the rest of his life. And everything that he did afterwards. And so we need to draw a couple of conclusions from this. We need to draw a couple of things to remind our hearts when life gets difficult. When we see the brokenness of the world around us and the people around us. And even the wickedness inside of us. It's that first, Jesus is the only one who can redeem. He's the only one that preaches both to the oppressed and the oppressor and can change the hearts. We need new hearts. The second thing is that the gospel of Jesus is the only thing 
to help bring real racial reconciliation. More than us just even being able to be in a room together, but to be able to celebrate and love and know our identities in Christ, know that we belong to him, that we are a part of his kingdom. I have one of the things that I love reading about the most in my life is the civil rights movement from the 60s and 70s and the 50s. I love that part of the American history. To me, it is the clearest example of the gospel lived out in this culture, in this society, in this country. And about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I read a piece about Martin Luther King Jr. that I think encapsulates so much of the gospel, and it's called this double victory. These are the words of Martin Luther King Jr., not my own. I have not earned the right to, to live out these words, but the people who came before us have. And he says this, I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in, in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country to make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration. We will still love you, but be assured that we'll wear you down by our capacity to suffer, and one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will appeal to your hearts and conscience. We will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. Church, Jesus' cross is the only thing that unites everyone. That when these words are actually lived out, it comes with a price and it hurts and it is not easy. Nothing about this is easy. But hate is too much, it's too high of a price to pay. The cross is the only thing that helps both the oppressed and the oppressor. For us to live in freedom, for us to live in truth. And then lastly, I also just want to point us to 1 Peter chapter 2. Another hard word for us to accept, but it's part of God's word for how we are supposed to live. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 25 says this. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might not follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Church, I don't don't believe that God has called us to accept oppression. We have very clearly preached indignation at injustice. But God's call is for us to experience freedom in our hearts, emotionally, spiritually, in our souls, for God to change us, because God is at work in this world. He is also reaching the hearts of the oppressors. I know that we won't see enough oppressors turn from their ways, but we trust in God because he is our judge. Hate is too much of a price to pay for your heart and for mine and for our response. These are heavy words, I know that. They don't come out of a heart that is flippantly agrees with this. But we have seen what too many people come before us to suffer. We have had too much heart, hatred in our heart to suffer more. I pray that God's gospel comes and heal us so that we can be a part of healing God's world. Oppressors, repentance, costly repentance. When Saul turned into Paul, when he met Jesus, he started to suffer for God, suffer the consequences of what he did, and experience healing and restoration and regeneration. And so I just want to do in closing, remind us of two things. So in closing, the first thing I want to do is point us back to Scripture. To 2 Corinthians 11. We're reading a lot of scripture today, but it's okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 30, say this. Paul writes this after he meets this Jesus and spends time and is built up by Jesus. This is what he has to say. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stone. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I must boast of the things that show my weakness. From Saul turning into Paul, from the oppressor turning into the oppressed, Saul paid a price. Jesus taught him how much he had to suffer to pursue justice, to pursue God's plan, to build the church, to be about bringing the kingdom here. From this point on, Saul turned into Paul, and he was never mistaken about what he had to do for Jesus. He had to suffer and bring the kingdom and love and try and follow the example that Christ left us. There's a cost to repentance. 
there is a deep cost to repentance. But it's the only way that we that the oppressor can start living. It's the only way that the oppressor can start having a heart, can start living in their humanity that God has given us and that God affirms. Paul went to was going to Damascus to kill, and yet he started to live for the first time. You know, a, a pastor friend of mine uh, said it said it this way. That, that when Paul first started writing his, his epistles, he called himself the least of the apostle. And then at the very end, his later writings, he transitioned, he matured, he got to know Christ. He went from being the least of all of the apostles, and he grew up to be called the chief of all sinners. And, and that might seem contrary to us because we think we know Christ, we're becoming better, we're growing, we're maturing. And yet the more that Paul got to know his Savior, the more he saw that he needed Christ and his grace and his mercy, the more in touch with, I, mean, I can't do this. I am too wicked. Church, we need Jesus to speak to the oppressor. But we also need Jesus to speak to the oppressor for our freedom. I talked about Daryl in the beginning of the sermon, Daryl Davis, the musician. And this man grew up, and he's a believer in Jesus, and Jesus gave him a very specific mission. I don't know if this is for everyone. I, I actually don't think it's for everyone. But the gospel so moved in this man's life, so moved in Daryl's life, that he has personally led more than 200 KKK members out of the KKK. That he had this question, why do you hate me and you don't even know me? And that caused him to start these relationships with these men that hate him. And more than 200 men have given up their hoods to this one man, Daryl. It's this, this love of Christ that makes absolutely no sense. Jesus, why did you go after Saul? How did you make him Paul? It's only the gospel that can do that. Only the gospel that brings us the healing that we need. And so church, let us remind ourselves, only Jesus speaks to the oppressor. And only Jesus speaks to our hearts. In all of the areas where we carry wounding, where we are hurt, where we don't think we can ever get better, let's invite Jesus into those parts of our heart. Let's continually be submitting to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need you to come and help me like Ananias. I need you to come and help me do something that I cannot do, that I am unwilling to do, because I need freedom. And I need you to be with me. Again, only Jesus can turn, can put to death Saul and cause Paul to, to come alive. Only Jesus can turn Paul from the best of us to the least of us to the chief of sinners. Only the gospel can do that, and this world needs this gospel. Now we are see it clearly that this world needs this gospel. And so today we are actually going to celebrate this gospel by taking communion, by remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. After this, we're going to join the, the church-wide call, and we're going to take communion, and we're going to remember that Jesus died to give us, to give you and me grace, to give the oppressor grace, 
to liberate the oppressed. So let's let's jump on this call and let's process some of these prompt questions. We want these prompt questions to help help promote freedom for our hearts and our souls so that we can live the lives that Jesus has for us and be free to experience his freedom here in this world uh, and the next one. And so the first question is, has God ever called you to someone you didn't want to serve? Like Ananias, has God called you to go and give a hard message that you didn't want to give or go to someone specifically that you wanted nothing to do with? Has God ever called you to someone you didn't want to serve? Question number two is, how do you need Jesus to bring freedom into your life and your soul? We're all in different parts of our walk with Jesus. We're all in different points of our healing process. What you can do today will be different from what you, I pray, can do in a year from now or two years from now and ten years from now. And so where do you need Jesus to bring freedom to free you to live the life that he's called you to do, to be the person that he has made you to be, to experience freedom now and in the, and in the life to come? All right, so let, let's jump on this call together. Let's process uh, the word for, that we have been given this week. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember the Lord. And um, I can't wait to see you all. We love you. I'll see you in a couple minutes. Thank you so much, Pedro, for leading us in the word today, leading us in the scriptures. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. And guys, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, now is the time, guys. We have the Zoom link right now in the chat. Please join us, guys. Uh, join us. Have communion with us. Uh, fellowship with us as we go through these prompt questions. But again, I just want to say thank you for being here. And again, click that link down below. I'm looking forward to see you guys. All right. Have a blessed day, guys.